Welcome to the Seven Hills Church Podcast with Marcus Mika. We're excited you're here listening as Pastor Marcus is about to bring an incredible teaching that is sure to inspire, motivate, and lift you up. You can visit us on our website at sevenhillschurch.tv or download our free Seven Hills Church app to watch or listen to more exclusive content. Thank you for tuning in and we hope you enjoyed the message. chapter 2. I want to encourage you um, to pay attention to the details of this scripture that I'm about to read. This is a scripture that uh, you've heard before, uh, but maybe you've not known the backstory into this scripture. You ever heard people say the devil is in the details? The devil's in the details. I think what's that infer? It's inferring that sometimes it's the things that we overlook that really do end up affecting our life negatively. But I think the flip side of that, I think God's in the details. And if you overlook some of the details in life, you can miss some really great things that God has for you. So we're going to look at this verse, but pay attention. I've been told my whole life to pay attention. To pay attention or it's going to cost you. You know, if you don't pay attention to the speed limit, you're going to pay the police officer. If you don't pay attention to your health, then you're going to pay a doctor. If you don't pay attention to your marriage, then you're going to pay an attorney a lot, by the way. One way or another, it's going to cost you. I heard a story about a guy that was an elderly man, about 82. He went to uh, the doctor for an annual checkup, and the doctor had some concerns and gave him some advice. And a few days later, the doctor was walking down the street, and he looked over, and he saw this, this 82-year-old man named Morris, and he said, looks over, and Morris has got this beautiful girl attached to his arm, a young lady, just a beautiful young lady attached to his arm, and the doctor thought to himself a few days later, he's having a checkup with Morris, he says, I, I think I want to ask him, you know, what's going on? You look looking good, you're looking vibrant. You know, everything's looking up. Last time you came in, you were looking a little down and discouraged, and now you're, you're all excited and cheerful. So he asked Morris, he said, hey, you look like you're doing great. And he says, I did exactly what you told me to do, exactly what you told me to do. I went out and got a hot mama, and I'm cheerful. And the doctor said, I did not tell you to do that. I told you you have a heart murmur and to be careful. So pay attention, pay close, close attention. Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, verse 4. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes, or I believe the New King James Version is going to give us that famous biblical phrase that... They wrapped him in swaddling clothes. They wrapped the baby in swaddling clothes. 
And the Bible actually says that this is be a sign to you because it's a prophecy here that the baby will be wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Luke, we know, was a physician, so he gave great attention to detail. The scholars would call that phrase, being wrapped in swaddling clothes, a scholar would call that alluding. In other words, the audience that's listening to what Luke is saying would have immediately knew what he was referring to. Of course, we're not uh, Hebrew, we're, we're not Jewish, most of us, and so many of us, not being aware of that culture, would have not known what Luke is trying to infer here, but the audience that Luke wrote to was a Hebrew audience, and they would have absolutely known immediately what he was saying when he said that phrase, the baby shall be wrapped in swaddling clothes. This is a critical moment in the nativity story or the Christmas story. This is a very important thing that you learn and that you catch. And most people completely miss it because they're not paying attention. So there is a message, not just to those people back then, but there is a message to each and every one of us in that thought, the baby shall be wrapped in swaddling clothes. And that's what I want to talk to you about today, that God's got you covered. God's got you covered. He really does. Now, how many of you have ever wondered, is, you know, did God really write the Bible? I mean, you know, he breathed on men. We know that men wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But have you ever wondered, I mean, is God really the one that inspired every single word in the Bible? Have you ever thought to yourself, I mean, you know, I mean, did God really write all that? Anybody just real on, just maybe just... Not, not in church at 9 a.m., all, all the 11, 30 a.m. people, they would probably raise their hands, you know. I mean, I've thought that, to be honest. I've thought, you know, you know maybe just, maybe every now and then a, a, a person maybe had a little to say about the content. Maybe God wasn't in complete control of it. And I started thinking about what kind of person would it take to write the Bible. I started thinking, for example, about my Uncle Tony. You know, maybe, maybe Uncle Tony could have wrote something in the Bible and, you know, my Uncle Tony doesn't do much and started thinking about that verse that if you don't, don't work, you don't eat. And so I thought, no, Uncle Tony probably didn't write the Bible. And then I started thinking about that, that, that verse. You know, I started thinking, well, maybe my kids would have wrote the Bible. And I thought about the verse, if you spare the rod, you spoil the child. And I thought, no, no way they wrote the Bible. And then I started thinking about maybe Sarah. Maybe Sarah wrote, you know, the Bible. And I started thinking about that verse, you know, that... Wives are to submit to their, and I said, nope, nope, she definitely, definitely didn't write the Bible. How many of you, if you wrote the Bible, you would take at least three things out? Like you would take the Ten Commandments down to about six or seven, maybe eight on a good day. You know, you would take the tithe from 10% to 5%. You would, you would change, no human being would write a standard this high. And when you read the Christmas story, we're about to see something that should blow our minds because the way that God goes at this, no human being would ever go at the human race the way that God does in this story. Now, most of us, we think of the nativity scene. We think of the 
child born in a manger. In our minds, we think it's warm and fuzzy. It's nostalgia. But in this time that we read it, the Christmas story was actually cold and hard. If you were Joseph, for example, you would have just heard that your fiance, the love of your life, is pregnant with a child that is not yours. You would have immediately been looking at the love of your life, the girl of your dreams, and you would have felt absolutely devastated. You would have felt wronged. Your dreams would have been shattered. The, the life that you had planned and hoped for would be absolutely in a spiral at this point. And this is what Joseph is dealing with. As a matter of fact, Matthew says that Joseph is so devastated by finding out that Mary is pregnant that Joseph is trying to find a way to put her out secretly. Joseph is trying to find a way to get rid of Mary. He doesn't want anything to do with her. He wants her gone. He's out. He's finished. He's done. He doesn't want anything to do with her whatsoever. We would know that that not only is Joseph looking for a way out, but this is a small community that they're in. That word spreads really fast. So the controversy surrounding this pregnancy was that Mary had been unfaithful. And who is the father? She's an adulteress in the mind of people. She is someone that has been unfaithful to Joseph. In their mind, this baby has been conceived in sin. That it's not a child that's been conceived in covenant. And this criticism is surrounding the birth of Jesus. Jesus is an illegitimate child in their mind. Not only did this surround his birth, but this would have followed him his entire life. For example, when they took the woman and they, that was caught in adultery and they threw her at the feet of Jesus, in that moment, the Bible says they did this that they might accuse him. Accuse him of what? That this woman was doing exactly what your mother was doing when she conceived you. His whole life, this label of an illegitimate uh, child would have surrounded Jesus. The label on Mary that she's a cheater, that she's an adulteress, that she is unfaithful. These labels would have been attached to her life, been attached to this family. And I think we can all relate to that because labels are so powerful. Labels just have a way of dehumanizing us. Labels have a way of robbing us of our value and our worth. You're dumb. You're a loser. You're a failure. You're ugly. You're fat. I read a t-shirt this week that said fat people are harder to kidnap. Come on, we've all heard it. You're an addict. You're no good. You're nothing. You're a nobody. Divorce, bankruptcy, some financial failure, some other failure in life. You're not educated enough. You're not wealthy enough. You're not, you don't look this way. You're too young. You're too old. Our whole life is constantly being labeled by other people. And the problem with labels is if you hear something enough and you listen to something enough, and it's not only that they say it, but you rehearse it over and over in your mind what they said, eventually, if you hear that thing enough, 
You will believe that thing. You will begin to buy in to what someone else has spoken over your life. There's 7 billion people on the planet. That means about 100,000 people were born last night. That's a whole lot of stretch marks. The, 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 all the things that, that, that happen to a person when they're born, all the things that surround it, one thing is very, very clear to me is yes, God has designed that birth. Yes, God has orchestrated the miracle of every single person that's been born. Trillions upon trillions of other situations didn't take, but you took, you were God. Everything about you, your eyes, your nose, your, your genetics, all of it, God looked down and he said, that's somebody I want a relationship with. And yes, he designed that. Not only did he design your birth, he made sure that angels were dispatched to guard you and protect you and look over that. But at the same time, hell also released something to, to hit your life. And a demon was more than likely assigned to every single person in this room. Some type of spirit to get you off the course that God has for you. Some kind of lie that was, was designated to surround your life. Some type of label that the enemy wanted to put on you to make you feel like like you are insignificant or inferior or you don't matter. The enemy is so good at trying to get us to feel devalued in life. And this is not something we only deal with. This is something that Jesus had to deal with. It surrounded his life. This cloud loomed over his life. Hell focused on attacking the identity of Jesus. Now we know there was no controversy. We know that there was no sin. We know that there was no adultery. We know that he was born of a virgin, that it was the Holy Spirit that overshadowed Mary and that the child was conceived by the Holy Ghost. We know that the child was the sinless, perfect, holy son of God. But can I ask you just a quick question, if hell could take inaccurate labels and attack the sinless life of Jesus, do you think that maybe hell will also try to take some type of label to attack your sinful and my sinful life? And that's what the scripture is saying here. They wrapped him in swaddling clothes. There is a message to it. It means something. Clothes represent identity in scripture. Purple represents royalty, white purity. The high priest wore red, blue, white, and purple garments. That if you study the scripture, you'll notice that, that the opposite of being clothed is, of course, to be naked. But nakedness refers to someone with identity issues. Jesus, for example, said, I was naked and you did not clothe me. As you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. He is talking about people who have been uh, inaccurately labeled in life. And as a result, they've got no identity. They don't have a sense of worth, a sense of value. They don't know their love. They don't know uh, that, that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. They, they don't have a concept of how much they mean to God. And so as a result, they live 
this life naked. And Jesus said, as you've done to the least of these, these people that have been so devalued and humiliated by label after label after label, as you've done to the least of these out there, you have done to me. Jesus teaching us to make sure that we do everything that we can to bring value to people, to love people, to lift people, to encourage people, to let them know what they mean to God. Adam and Eve in the garden, clothed with the glory of God. Sin declothed them. What did they do? They looked around, all of a sudden knew they were naked. Immediately, they started to pursue, trying to find their identity in some way, in some fashion, outside of the presence of God, outside of a relationship with God. And so Jesus, we see here, is born And he's born in a culture that when you are born out of wedlock, number one, the father always, always, in our culture, it's many of the times, but in that culture out of wedlock, the father would never be there for the child. Never, never would a father be in the life of a out of wedlock, out of covenant pregnancy, never. The the father's gone. Most of the time, the mother would go into hiding and many of the time, many of times she would have the child in hiding in secret and the mother would also abandon the child, which meant there would not be a midwife present. This is very important because a child that's born in covenant, a child that's born surrounding uh, wedlock is a child that also is going to be born with a certain ceremony. The ceremony of a covenant child would be number one, the cord would be cut. Number two, the child would be washed. Number three, the child would be salted. And number four, the child would be wrapped in swaddling clothes. This happened with every single child. If you are a a Israelite, if you are Jewish, if you are Hebrew, and you are married, and you have a child, every single child goes through the exact same ceremony. The cord is cut, the child is washed, It's salted and then it's wrapped in swaddling clothes. Every child would experience this. The opposite thing we know would happen with a child that had not been born in wedlock, not been born in covenant. It would have none of those ceremonial things happen. Now, why is this important? If you think about it like this, again, he's talking to a Hebrew audience. Luke is speaking to them. And the second that he mentions this phrase, they all would have gone back. They would have been raised memorizing the Torah. They would have been raised remembering things like how God raised up the nation of Israel. He blessed them. He made them a people. And then after a time, the blessing went to their head. They would turn their backs on God. They would walk away from God. They would create false idols and false gods to worship. And then because of that, the protection of God would lift. An outside nation would attack, capture, and enslave the Israelites. They would end up in bondage for years. We see this happening in Egypt for 400 years. And then again in Babylon for 70 years. Constantly, this was the rhythm of God's relationship with Israel. God would love them. God would bless them. Then they would turn from God. They would 
would walk away from God, they would worship false gods, and then they would end up enslaved, and then they would humble themselves, repent, turn back to God, then God would bring them out, God would bless them again, and this happened over and over again. The unfaithfulness of Israel is absolutely famous. So if you're a Hebrew, you know all about past generations and their tendency to be unfaithful. So much so that the Bible says God wrote a bill of divorce. God said, I'm done with these people. I'm tired of their unfaithfulness. I'm tired of their wonderings. I'm going to enforce the decision they made. They don't want to be with me. Fine. Good. I'm done. I'm out. Now, God didn't enforce the bill, but God wrote it. He was like, I'm done. I'm finished. And All of Israel would have known that that's how God felt about Israel. Because Israel, when they would be unfaithful, would go into foreign nations and they would intermarry. It had nothing to do with one race marrying another race. It had more to do with one person of faith marrying outside of the faith. A person of covenant marrying into a culture that worshiped false gods. And many times they would abandon God, reject God, walk away from God, and start worshiping false gods. And so all throughout Israel you would have an unfaithful generation that would then intermarry with other religions and their children would be raised in a culture where they didn't know God at all, which simply meant that they would then have children and the children that they would have would not be covenant children and would not go through the ceremony that we just, we just talked about. Or we read in Ezekiel chapter 16, let's look at it real quick because this is exactly what the prophet talks about here. Uh, Ezekiel 16 verse one, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, Confront Jerusalem with her detestable practices and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says to Jerusalem. Your ancestry and birth were in the land of the Canaanites. He's talking about how, where they were originally from. But your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. Talking about, again, they walked away from the faith. And on the day you were born, your cord was not cut. You were not washed with water. You were not rubbed with salt or wrapped in swaddling clothes. This is what the prophet Ezekiel was talking about. This is what the Hebrew people would have grown up knowing. And so the entire Hebrew nation, when Jesus was born would have immediately thought, if this kid is born out of covenant, then we know that he was not cut, he was not washed, he was not salted, and he was not swaddled. The question of the day, every time a child was born, has this child been salted? Has this child been swaddled? What are they asking? Is this, is this child legitimate? Was this child born inside of covenant? So when Luke wrote this Bible verse, when he wrote the child was wrapped in swaddling clothes, what is happening there is Joseph is saying, this child is my son. I am this child's earthly father. What Joseph was doing was stepping up, obeying the angel and covering the controversy, covering the labels, covering the lies that surrounded the birth of Christ and stepping up to the plate and saying, this is my son and I've got him covered. And this not only did something uh, in the life of Jesus 
that is just something good to talk about. This also fulfilled the Old Testament prophecy because Joseph was from the lineage of David and the prophecies referring to the Messiah was that it would come from the household of David. And so when Joseph wrapped Jesus in swaddling clothes, it was a fulfillment of prophecy, but it was also a prophetic picture of you and I. It was a message to us, every single person in this room. Guess what happens to us? Sin illegitimizes us. Sin says, God wouldn't want someone like you after all you've done, after the way you've lived your life, after all the things that you've been through. God would never want. And the mindset to us is that we've been orphaned by God, abandoned by God, even rejected by God. And swaddling clothes is a message to you and I that we have a God that knows how to cover us. He covers us with his loving kindness. He wraps us in his mercy and he clothes us with his grace. That's what it means to be a son or a daughter of God to be adopted in, it means that we no longer have to be victims of the labels that this world puts on us because the power of his love covers a multitude, is what the Bible says, of sins, a multiplicity of sins, not just one sin or two sins or 10 sins, a multitude. You just go ahead and just figure as much as you want out and God's love knows how to cover that. And when you receive that love, you are cut from your old life. You are washed in the precious, sinless blood of Jesus. You are salt and light to this world and you are wrapped up in his unconditional love. And you can stand confidently and say, I'm a son, I'm a daughter, I'm chosen, I'm forgiven. I'm a new creation in Christ. I am free from my past and I am free to live the future that he paid for me to have. You see, people come to church hurting and broken and they think that they have to stay that way. And they've been told that that's how life has to be. But you can be free from all of that. You can let God wrap you and that is the gift of Christmas. The gift of Christmas is that God wants to wrap you with his love. I don't know how about how you are, but I'm gonna tell you how I am. When I get a gift for Christmas, I just rip it open. Is anybody in here one of those really neat, meticulous? Anybody like that? Randy, you're that way, man. You admitted it too. I, you know, I guess, I guess, you know, that's, a, that's amazing. I rip it open. I can't wait. And you know what? If, if, if I spend great effort to go get Sarah a present and I look for it and I work for it and I finally get her something that I think this is perfect and I probably am not gonna wrap it, but somebody will wrap it and I put it under the Christmas tree And Christmas morning comes, and she just looks at the gift. It's like, eh, that's cool. Maybe later I'll open it. I'll get to it when I get to it. I'll be, I'd be so discouraged because I want, to see, I want her to get the gift. I want her to receive that gift. That's what I, that's what I want her to do. I want, I want her to open it up. I want her to experience everything that she possibly can about the gift, and some of us, when it comes to the gifts that God's given us, that's how we are, eh, you know, it's okay. Eh, maybe later. Eh, maybe some other time. Maybe some other time, but man, it's, it's important that you, you know, a couple years ago, I was thinking about a gift I could get my mother-in-law, and so I went out and bought a, a cemetery plot. <laughs> and um, 
And last year she was so upset at me. You haven't bought me anything for Christmas this year. You haven't got me anything. And I said, well, you still haven't used what I got you last year. So come on, you've got to use, you've got to unwrap the gifts (laughs) that God has for you. True story, um, 1953, was a young pastor, him and his wife just took over a, a church that at one point in time had thrived and was successful. And the years had gone by, it was at this point just a fragment of what it had once been. The building was beat up and run down. And this young pastor and his wife just decide, you know what, we don't care. We're going to do the best we can with, with this place. And we're going to try to revitalize it and do something great with it. And so they start working on it. And they're about to have their very first Christmas Eve service. It's a true story. Read it in Focus on the Family magazine. And, and so they're about to have their very first Christmas Eve service. And, of course, this is just like. I mean, they're so excited. They can't wait to have their first Christmas Eve service. And so they're, they're getting, getting everything ready. They've got the candles out. They've got the church as clean as they can possibly get it. And a storm hits unexpected, unexpectedly. And that storm, because the building was so run down, had knocked a hole in the back of the stage right behind the altar. There was a massive hole, and they didn't know how to fix it. They didn't have time to find someone to fix it. And so they're so discouraged, thinking to themselves, all these people are going to come to our very first Christmas Eve service, and they're going to think that we've neglected things. They're going to think that we're not taking care of things. Uh, our, one of our first impressions with a lot of people that maybe haven't been here for a while, they're going to show up, and they're going to see this massive, massive hole in the altar of the church. So discouraged, they end up having to leave to go to their youth group's auction. Their youth group was having an auction fundraiser for some different things that they were doing. And when they went to the auction, the auctioneer pulled out a blanket, a gold and ivory laced blanket, pulls it out and shakes it out. And the wife says, I bet that blanket, if if we bought it, would cover that hole on the back of the stage. And so they waited till the auctioneer got to a number that they they offered and they bought that blanket for $6.50. They went to the altar in the back of the church and sure enough, it was perfect. Gold and ivory, especially when the candles were lit, the blanket shimmered, it was beautiful and they had fixed the problem. They were so excited, they were so happy. They went home to get ready for their Christmas Eve services. The pastor came a little early to make sure everything was ready. And as he walked in the church building, he noticed that there was a lady. It was extremely cold outside. And he noticed that there was a lady at the bus stop. He could tell that she was uh, middle-aged, that she was older. He knew that the bus had already been and passed and was gone. And it was so cold outside, he just mentioned to her, you know, are you okay? And she says, well, I'm just waiting for the bus. It'll be here in about another 40 minutes. And he said, well, while you wait, why don't you just come in? and warm up. So the lady comes in, and as she's getting warm, she looks up at the altar, and she notices that blanket that's up there. 
And it's such a unique blanket. It's such a specific blanket. She asked the pastor, where did you get that blanket? And the pastor says, well, I actually just bought it in an auction today. There's a massive hole behind the stage, and we were just trying to figure out how to cover it. And so I went to an auction, and the auctioneer pulled it out, and, and I, it fit perfectly over that. And she said, you're not going to believe this, but that's my blanket. That blanket belongs to me. Years and years ago, decades ago, my husband gave that to me. She says, I have not seen that blanket for decades. She says, that's my blanket. She says, I can prove it to you. Go lift up the corner and you'll see my initials. It's monogrammed on the back corner of that blanket. And sure enough, they went and they looked and there's her initials. And she says, what happened is me and my husband were in Vienna. And when the Nazis invaded, uh, we were trying to escape. And they all told us if we wanted to get out, Uh, we increased our chances of success if we would leave separately. And so me and my husband had agreed that we would uh, leave separately and then we would meet back up in a a particular place. And that was the last time I seen my husband and I've not seen that blanket since then. Last I heard, my husband was captured and died in a concentration camp. And the pastor tries to comfort the woman, tries to urge her to take the blanket. She refuses and said, it looks so good. It's perfect right where it's at. And then she gets on the bus and she leaves. That night, they have their Christmas Eve services. No one notices the damage behind the altar. Nobody notices that the storm had ripped the whole back of the stage apart. This blanket is just covering it perfectly. As the pastor shaking hands As people leave the service that night, a middle-aged man has a puzzled look on his face. He was a well-known watchmaker in the community, and the pastor knew him. And with a a subtle accent, he asked the pastor the same question, where'd you get the blanket? And the pastor said the same thing. I was at an auction today. A big hole was knocked into the back of the stage, and I went and this auction, we saw the blanket, and it was perfect. We bought it, and we put it up behind the stage. And, and the middle-aged man said, you're not going to believe this, but I believe that blanket belongs to me. And the pastor immediately is like, what are you talking about? And he says, I can prove it to you. My wife's initials are monogrammed in the back corner of that blanket. And the pastor says, I know exactly what you're talking about. He said, but you're not going to believe this. There was a lady today that was interviewing for a nanny job for a wealthy family nearby. She didn't get the job. She missed the bus. She was sitting right outside the church at the bus stop. She was so cold, I invited her in. And when she came in, she looked at the blanket and she asked the same question, where did I get it? And she told me, that her initials were monogrammed on the back corner of that blanket. And sure enough, they were. And she told me the story about how when the Nazis invaded Vienna, her and her husband were separated, that she hasn't seen or talked to him since. And that last she heard, he was captured and died in a concentration camp. Sir, are you telling me you are that lady's husband? And he said, she's alive. She's alive Are you telling me after decades of believing that she was dead, that she's alive? And the pastor says, I know exactly what you can do. They jumped in a car. They went to that wealthy family's house. They got the lady's name, 
got her address, went and found her, and that couple, after decades of being apart, were restored. And what I want you to see is the blanket covered the broken wall, but it also miraculously restored an all but dead lost love. The blanket covered the damage done by a harsh winter storm, but it also accomplished the impossible in hearts of a separated couple. Is it a beautiful story? Absolutely. But don't miss the principle here. Don't miss the powerful principle of how something miraculous happens when you let God cover you. In the same way that Joseph covered Jesus, we have a Father in heaven that desires to cover us. In the same way that young pastor covered the damage at that altar, when we come to the altar broken, we have a God that lived and died and rose again and he did all of that so he could come into a room like this and cover us in our altar and our broken moments when you let God cover you he does more than save you from something he saves you for something he does more than restore you from your past he prepares you for a great future and what we know because of the message that we've been wrapped in swaddling clothes, there's no label, there's no damage that any storm could cause in any life. There's no life of sin that is too great. There's no heart that's too broken. There's no relationship that's too damaged. There's no person that's irredeemable, no circumstance that's irreversible, and there is no situation that is incurable. God can cover the most impossible situations no matter what you've been through. And if you come into a room like this and you say, okay, God, I'm ready. I'm going to give you a shot. I'll let you cover me. When you say that, you're simply saying, God, I'm, I want you to cut the cord in my life to my old life and to sin and to this world. I want you to wash me and cleanse me and forgive me. I want you to Take the salt of your word to preserve me, and I want you to cover me with your love. You are simply in that moment saying, God, I'm ready to not live my life based upon what other people have said about me. I'm ready to live my life based on what you have said and what you desire from me. And when you do that, the Bible says not only do you receive his word, but the Bible says signs and wonders follow those that believe. The Bible says that, that when you and I come to him, that he can do abundantly above anything we could ask, think, or imagine. When you come to him and let him cover you, what you'll also see is that he can do the impossible. You'll also begin to see, man, I'm doing things I never thought I could do. I'm living a life I never thought I could live. I have joy I never thought I could have, peace I never thought I could have. I'm living Living a life that outside of him would be impossible, but it begins by simply saying, okay, God, I'm gonna let you cover me. I'm gonna let you cover me. And you know what? God's got every person in this room covered. He's got you covered. No matter what this world has spoken over you, he's got you covered. 